0: Well, let's pray and ask God to speak to us uh, from his word. <clears throat> Father, thank you we can gather together as your people uh, and sing your praises and bring our requests before you. But thank you too that we don't just uh, sing to you, we hear you speak to us uh, through your living and powerful word. So we pray again tonight. Uh, as we hear your word, you'll give us attentive ears and warm and receptive hearts. That uh, We won't just uh, walk away having heard your word, but now we have we've met you and we've gone away from this place uh, changed to live lives pleasing to the Lord Jesus in His name we pray, Amen. I, I've been here now for three weeks and uh, preaching and running running training days on how to preach and I, I do that all over the place and I enjoy it. But I've got to say, guys, I, I kind of enjoyed a bit more in Australia than Malaysia. I will tell you why. I like to teach interactively. I like I like people to respond. I like a bit of you know cut and thrust. Yeah, you know? ask a, ask a question, get a response. I, often, I I preach a sermon and say, okay, guys, feel free to criticize the sermon. Feel free to say what you like. Oh, Mike, that was that was a dumb illustration. Or I, I liked it, but didn't like that bit. Aussies love that. If you know Aussies, they're just they love to. To be blunt, I mean we are borderline rude. we just, just we like it. I find Malaysians by and large well kind of quietish and much more polite. You got this old guy from Melbourne who's a reverend. Oh, he wouldn't dare critique. They're kind of polite, but I, I like a bit of a. I like a good argument, not a quarrel, not a fight, but a bit of an argument. Um. There's a famous writer called G.K. Chesterton who's a Christian guy and he said that when his brother was born, he was five, his brother was born and from the moment the brother could talk they just argued the whole time. Just the whole time. till, till he died. They they argued their whole life. But he said this, um, I'm glad to think that through all those years we never stopped arguing and we never once quarreled. Perhaps the principal objection to a quarrel is that it interrupts an argument. He means by an argument, just a good, vigorous discussion, a kind of cutting for us, sharing ideas, just trying to reach the truth. A quarrel is a verbal fight. You lash out, you've got to win at all costs, with often truth as a casualty. Well, tonight's topic is the Lord's Supper, uh, the sacraments. And they've caused a fair bit of arguing and quite a bit of quarrelling fighting. Like baptism. That's not tonight's topic, but you know, who do you baptize? The babies, the adults? I mean, some folk felt so strongly they even called themselves Baptists. I mean, go figure that. You know, we, we, they feel that strongly. Well, tonight's the Lord's Supper, or Holy Communion, or the Mass, or the Eucharist, and so many discussions. I mean, should we even celebrate communion? Do we have to? Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. But was that like a command for all time? He said, This is, this is my body. Did he mean literally when you eat the bread? I mean, you know, Catholics think yes. You say the prayer and the, the bread's transformed into Jesus' flesh. You actually eat his flesh. Is that right? Well, no is the answer, by the way. <laughs> I should just make that very clear. The answer is a clear, emphatic no, it's not right. But the other one, what about and who should take communion? Anybody? We say, don't we, who you love Jesus, come today. But what if you what if you don't love Jesus? What if you're not a disciple of Christ? Can you take communion? Well, we let you sing. You can sing "Amazing Grace," can't you? Although you don't believe it, "Amazing Grace" how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. You no, know you, no, you weren't found. You know, stop singing. We don't do that. We let them say "Amen" to the prayers. We even let them give to the church. Oh, that's quite nice, actually. But we, they can't, can they? Can they take communion? What about kids? How old do you have to be? Do you have to be confirmed? At what age can a, can a small child take communion? How often? Every week, like in my church? Once a month? Three, four times a year? Who should preside? Just the ordained person? That's a big issue where I come from. Could Gary preside? And do you have to have bread and wine? What about cordial? What about milk? What about noodles and Titanic? <laughs> Coke and biscuit. Oh no, you couldn't do that. Well, what are so lots of questions? which I won't answer tonight. <laughs> Sorry about but it, But it, it's good. It's, if you want to talk to me later, you can do it. I'll give you my point of view. It's good to discuss these things. But tonight we're going to kind of eavesdrop on a, a conversation between Paul and a church and really much bigger issues about the Lord's Supper from here, from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11. Now, Paul's probably at Ephesus. You've been doing the letter for a while, so you know the background. At Ephesus. He just been a letter about issues in the church like marriage, singleness... Spiritual gifts and about the Lord's Supper. He's heard some very disturbing news about what's happening at Holy Communion. Now, you know back then that the people met in, in, not in, in a building like this, but in homes. For around 300 years, they met in people's homes. And they did what we do they sang songs, they prayed, uh, heard a talk, and they, they had normally a meal together, a regular meal. And maybe at some time during the meal, they just paused. And the head of the house broke bread and gave wine, and they remembered the Lord's death. Or maybe the whole meal was given in honour of the Lord. But it was a meal together. That's what they do. Uh, But Paul's heard some astonishing news. What's he saying? Uh, For to begin with, I hear that when you come together, verse 18, as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. There must be indeed be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognised among you. You see, there are two kinds of divisions. But those over, well, like, who should preside the Lord's Supper? Who can come forward? Who can take it? Those kind of divisions, which tell you nothing about a person's godliness. There big debate to the church about things like, well, like, like women in ministry. That's a pretty hot one in Australia. Can you ordain women? Can a woman preach? I know godly saints who think you can. And godly saints who think you can't ordain women. Their view is no reflection of their love for Jesus. What about how the world began? There's a hot one. Six days creation? Or evolution? Did I say the word? I know godly saints who believe God made the world in six twenty-four days, and godly ones who believe in theistic evolution. I might just wait for the how long does the bell go for? It's just just keep talking, just ignore it, just switch, pretend the bell isn't isn't. i right, just speak over, or maybe even chant to the bell. So I know godly saints. So what they think about these matters is no reflection of their love for Jesus or their love for the Bible. But there are other divisions which will tell you something about their spiritual condition. that, That has to be the case. They tell you whether these people are wheat or chaff, or are godly or ungodly. And this is one of those kinds of divisions. In Corinth, there are two kinds of people in this church. The rich and the poor. There may have been a famine when Paul was writing this, and the the poor are doing it tough. And here's what's happening, probably. The rich come to church early, because they're not working. They can come when they like. They come, and they eat the food, all the food, right away. The poor arrive, and there's nothing left. I know how they feel. I work in a church in Melbourne. I'm, I'm the assistant pastor there. And when the service ends, I shake hands at the door with all the people, shake hands, and they go across to the hall to have morning tea. With nice coffee. And I'm shaking hands, and people stay and talk to me. And by the time I get to morning tea, all, and it's terrible, all the nice coffee's gone. All I'm left with is weak tea. I mean, all the nice coffee's gone. All gone. So I say, hey, come on, I'm the pastor, save you a cup of coffee. Well, it's, it's more serious here. They're eating all the food, there's none left. Or maybe they're bringing their food, the rich people, and eating it in front of the poor people. They sit there, wash and gorge their food and get drunk. Get drunk and they get, they get nothing. It's amazing. Of course, if that's how you are, if you're so hungry, stay home. Have your meal there. That's not why you come to church. Christ died for all people, rich and poor. He became poor. He called believers the poor in spirit. All you're doing is making a mockery of Jesus. A mockery. They mocked him. They laughed at him. And you're doing the same thing. You're a disgrace to the gospel, he says. Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Because it shows, actually, it shows this kind of division where you stand with Jesus. Well, you're really a believer or you're a phony. Would you really know the gospel or it's just skin deep? This kind of division shows where you stand, says Paul. So, what's the remedy? Verse 23. Well, actually, Paul doesn't answer all our questions. He doesn't say, now here's what you should do. This person presides only this age. He doesn't do that. Now, of course, if you remember, it was a meal in some sense, like you have a lunch here at church sometimes in the hallway there. And all the folk go there for lunch, don't they? All of them. Well, they would have all had the meal, I think. But what does he say? He says, Remember Jesus. Now, I don't think the four gospels are written at this stage, but our Lord's words and the Last Supper are very well known. They would have known them. But Jesus took bread and broke the bread as a symbol of his broken body on the cross. He took a a, a chalice of blood-red wine and drank it down to the last drop. And he drank the wrath of God for us down to the last drop that we could be forgiven. He did that. He absorbed all God's anger that we could be set free. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. When you tonight, when you eat this bread and drink or sip that bit of wine, remember him. But when he says remember, he doesn't mean just have a thought process. Will you bring to mind what Jesus did? No, no, no. When you don't forget communion, he doesn't mean oh I split my mind tonight it was communion. I must write that down in my diary. <laughs> No, to forget and remember are not just thought processes, they're things you do. When God forgets your sin, he blots them out. When God remembers you, he does you good. He chooses to bless you. So when you remember the Lord's death tonight, it affects you. You remember, wow, he did this for me, therefore I must One of my heroes in church history is a man, a German count, born in 1700. His name had a wonderful name. If you want, if if you're getting married, having kids, you want. What do I call my first son? Here's a name. Okay, his name was Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. (laughs) Fantastic name. Okay, that was his name. He was born in 1700 in, in a Christian family. When he was 19, he went around Europe for a, for a tour, went to an art gallery in Dusseldorf, saw there a painting by a man called Dominico Fetti. The painting was called, in Latin, Ecce Homo, that is, Behold the Man. It's a painting of the head of Christ with the crown of thorns and the blood. And below the painting, the words, I did this for thee, what dost thou do for me?" And Zinzendorf just stood there for about an hour and just was transfixed. And he saw and he remembered. Now he, he knew Jesus died for him on the cross. Like you all know that. There's nothing new here tonight. We all learn something new. You know all that. But he remembered it. That is, he knew if Christ died for him, That must change the way he lives. And he went away and gave himself the world mission and did amazing things because he remembered. That's what it means to remember, not to forget. And Paul says here, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Not that the meal itself is a proclamation. If we have a meal out there for lunch, unless we speak it's just a meal but if we say this is Christ's body broken his blood poured out then we proclaim, and then outside I can hear the gospel and believe see the problem here wasn't that they'd forgotten the cross I wonder what what did he die for I'd forgotten they knew he died for their sins it just made no difference to them they kept ignoring the poor they'd forgotten the cross it's amazing hypocrisy They've forgotten the cross. So Paul says, as often as you come, you proclaim the Lord's death. Remember he died for you. Well, that's the remembrance. Now, the next section, the last. Here are the consequences, the dire consequences of doing that. It's it's very serious. You hear from time to time of these preachers who fall into sin, don't you? These pastors, normally, they're, they're greedy or sexual sin and the church withdraws them from authority. And rightly so, they, they, they're forced to resign. And, and rightly so. To save them from further sin and judgment. Because to be in sin and to carry on doing it doesn't just harm the church, it'll harm you on the last day. You can't continue in sin and not face God's judgment. So you are being upon your elder who sinned discipline, to spare him, and spare him on the last day. And Paul's saying here, when we eat or drink the blood of our Lord in an unworthy manner, we're guilty of profaning Christ's body. You're as guilty as those who put him on the cross. So examine yourself. It doesn't mean, you know, "Am am I having long, quiet times? Am I reading the Bible enough? Am I being evangelistic enough? No. Look around you, he says. Look around you. Are you remembering Christ's death and living in the light of it? Are you loving one another? Because Pearl's heard some news about the church. Now some are getting sick, quite a few in fact. More than normal. And some are even dying. And Paul seeing a connection between their sin And there's sickness and death. Now there's not always a connection. In fact, normally there isn't a connection. You you, you just get sick. But sometimes, if God wants to speak to us and we're not listening, he speaks to our sicknesses. And if you are getting sick a lot, and you're young and healthy, then you should really stop and ask the question, "Is is God talking to me? Is a sin in my life. If there is, you'll know it. It'll be pretty clear. And he's talking to them. And they're dying. Some of them. But better that than they continue in sin and face the end time judgment. Let this kind of sin go on in the church week by week by week by week. This kind of lack of love and disregard for the poor, would bring in the end God's eternal judgment. For the one who does, as he says, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's Paul's warning to them. That's what's happening in Corinth. I work for some years in Pakistan, as we said, and I work with the church here. The church there is a very orthodox church. It's a conservative church. It it, it reveres the Bible. It believes strongly in Christ's uniqueness. The church there will die rather than compromise those truths. It's very orthodox. But much of the church is weak, nominal, and sadly corrupt. And you see it, I think, particularly at meals. I've been to many of them. You have these big uh, plates full of chicken, curry and rice. And they don't get much curry and, uh, much chicken and rice because they're poor. They can't afford it. And we pray for the meal and they just rush to the front. And they fill their plates just to the brim with the biggest chicken pieces they can find and sacks of rice and at the head of the pack are normally the pastas. It's awful. And the old and the slow are left at the back. I spoke one time at a conference for a mission hospital and I was given the topic love. My last talk was right before lunch. And there was the chicken curry and the rice. I said, guys, I have a test for you. You've heard the talks on love? Have you heard the talks on love? Here's what I want you to do. When we pray, race to the table. Grab a plate and fill that plate to the brim with the biggest chicken pieces you can find and stacks and stacks of rice. And then turn around and give that plate to the person next to you. Oh, and they smiled and they smirked and they kind of laughed a bit and they winked and said, Okay, are you ready for the test? And I prayed, gave thanks for the food, and said, go. And they raced to the front and filled their plates. And no one shared a thing. They couldn't do it. Now, after that meal taught me more about the church in Pakistan than all their exuberant singing, all their long prayers, all their orthodoxy. You see there are some divisions which tell you the state of a person's heart. And that sadly showed it. So, so what do we say, say in the light of this tonight? <clears throat> What's the state of Mike Rader? It to me that the most important thing is not that I've worked out Holy Communion. All the answers. Or that I've worked out how to teach people to preach. That's not the most important thing. Or that Kenneth's worked out how to run a communion service. Or Tim and Andrew, how to build a church or you haven't you've got you've got your right theology or you've done all the more college courses now all those things are really really important let me say but really today's text isn't about the lord's supper in the end it's about love it's about love loving each other so today i ask you uh, exam- to examine yourselves Not, am i a better home group leader Have I grown in my grasp of theology? Am I a better Sunday school teacher, a better evangelist? Am I sure in what I believe? Have I grown in ministry skills? Am I a better secretary, pastoral assistant? They're all really important, really important. But in the end, without love, we're just so much sounding gongs and clanging cymbals. We're We're just a noisy church. Just a noisy church. Now let me say, I don't know a lot about smack, but I've only heard good things about you guys. Really. I've heard a lot of good things about smack. But your faith, and your love, and your commitment to Christ. And I think if Paul were here, he wouldn't be saying to you what he said to these guys. I think you're different by God's grace, by God's grace, and by faithful teaching of the Gospel. But still, you know yourself and I don't. So, it would be good tonight, I think, as a church, and maybe as individuals, as you pause to remember again Jesus' death, which you you know the facts really well, to examine yourselves. It would be a joke, wouldn't it, to take this, which tells of our reconciliation, and in your heart, you still hate someone else here tonight. That would be a joke. A tragic joke. To take this, which speaks of him who was rich who became poor, if in your heart you despised a group of people, or you're a constant critic of the congregation, that make a mock of the whole thing. I mean, Jesus died to bring us back to God and to bring us to one another. This is about love. Love for him, and love for each other. So my dear friends, as you drink the cup and eat the bread, don't forget when you leave here tonight, but remember the death of Christ. I did this for thee, What dost thou do for me? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for the reminder in a few moments' time of your death for us. We have heard this story a thousand times over a thousand weeks in a thousand communions. And it's still a wonderful story, but we can be tempted, Lord, just to hear the words and have them flow over us and not impact our lives and our hearts. We pray tonight you keep us from that. And if there be in our hearts tonight any one of us that kind of anger and resentment and bitterness towards a brother or sister for whom you died, Father, we now confess it and say create in us a clean heart. May we be known in SMAC not just for our wonderful commitment to the Gospel, a wonderful commitment to evangelization and to, to deeper Bible study, but may we be known as people of faith. And that people might say, see how those at SMAC love one another. Help us, dear Lord, we pray, to remember Jesus. We ask this for our good and for his glory. Amen.